tell you what, I had one of those mornings. Have you ever had a morning where you wake up and your eyes come into focus and already Satan is waiting by your bedside to start pouncing on you? I had one of those mornings this morning where it just it got in my head and and uh, luckily after getting some some clarity and some scripture and some prayer and some food, uh, it started uh, started coming into focus. And I tell you what, I've got a friend that uh, showed me this gospel music song and it was called Not Today, Satan. So I've been claiming that today. Not today. Uh, he is at work in our lives. He is working our thought processes. And I was so blessed from the moment I walked in the door of this church. All the things that I thought were big deals just started falling into place. And that wasn't luck. That wasn't chance. That was the Holy Spirit. And that was God showing me, son, you need to buck up. <laughs> and, uh, you know, eat, eat your uh, McMuffin and be happy about it. And uh, so I am grateful to be here. I am grateful that uh, Satan does not get the victory. And my prayer is, as we finish up the book of James today, that we finish well and, and finish strong. Because I don't know about you, but when I get a letter that someone writes to me and I start getting near the end, I, I kind of I know that the big emphasis is coming, and I'm kind of sad to see the letter end. But at the same time, uh, what a great path that James has taken us on through his letter. Well... As we begin this morning, you know, you can travel anywhere these days, but if you don't have a charger for your phone, a charger for your computer, a charger for your laptops, and you have a car charger, a pocket charger, a battery charger, because we cannot dream of being without our gadgets, right? It's always amazing if I have a chance to travel uh, especially like an airport or something, you'll see all of these people and they are tethered to a wall with a cord about this long. <laughs> and they're trying to look at their phone and they're trying to make sure that they can get some kind of connection. Sometimes they're doing this, looking for some type of signal or some type of, of Wi-Fi connection. And the thing is, is that just as we need power to run our devices, we need power to run our lives. Not only physical power that we get from food and fitness and those type of things, but more even more important than that is spiritual power. And the good thing is today that I can tell you about a source that I have found that has inexhaustible power. You cannot outrun it. You cannot deplete it. And that, my friend, of course, is the power of God. He is inexhaustible. We can run to the bitter end of all of our emotion and all of our physical stamina. And at the end of that, God will still have plenty of power for us. The only thing is, is that we have to access it. Just like those people, if you've ever gone somewhere and forgot your charger, that's a bad day, is it not? And of course, everybody around you doesn't use the site same type of phone you have, so they don't have a charger as well. And so you have this wall, you have this outlet, and you have this thing that needs charging, but you have no way to access it. How do we access the inexhaustible power of God? Now, I'm going to say something. You think, yeah, here, here it comes. The preacher's going to say prayer. I've heard this, been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. But don't take my word for it. Let's look at what, what James says that, because, as, as what James says about that, because as a pastor, I never take for granted the privilege that I have 
and the responsibility of, of praying for others who ask for prayer. And as a believer, neither should you. Because when we are praying, we are praying literally for life and death situations. When someone comes to you and says, would you please pray for this? And we say, yes, we will. We better do that. Because they have invited us to be in to a part of their lives. So prayer is power. And we're all looking for power, right? Well, James concludes his letter to you and I this morning with a plea to plug into God's power. So let's take a moment and let's read James chapter 5, verse 13. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I would venture to guess most of you in here have some type of hardship. I know I do, so that would be, he would be talking to me. You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. So, if you are suffering hardships, you should pray. If you are happy, you should sing praises. Both of those things we have done already this morning in worship. We have prayed. We have prayed for those that are sick in our church. We have sang praises about our soul on fire. We've done all of that. And so we ought to be feeling better because we are plugging in to God's power. And so what he's saying here, he's saying to us, brothers and sisters, that suffering is not if you're going through it, but it's almost like it's not you might go through suffering. As a believer, we all go through suffering. Suffering is not a possibility for those who claim Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. Folks, it is a promise. And so Paul reminds us here that anyone who signs up to give their lives to Jesus Christ will encounter some type of sufferings and hardships. So, so Paul tells us in his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 9, he says, And because I preach this good news, I am suffering, and I have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be changed. I love that. The Word of God cannot be changed. Folks, we have got the inexhaustible power right here. There have been people that have tried to burn it. There have been people that have tried to outlaw it. There have been people that have tried to hide it. But yet it is still alive and active and breathing in our lives today. And if you're not experiencing that, it's because you're not accessing that. And so we see here that as a child of God, you and I will go through suffering... And it will not necessarily be a punishment for sin. Sometimes we are suffering because God is correcting us. Sometimes we're suffering because God is preparing us for something. And sometimes we just suffer because we live in a sinful and fallen world that is hostile towards God. So, he lays the groundwork. If you're suffering, you should pray. But then he changes it. Well, if you're happy, you should sing praises. Just like suffering, happiness is not a possibility for those who claim to know Jesus Christ. Happiness is a promise. There are moments of joy and happiness that you will experience in your life that other people that don't know the Lord won't have. And I think one of the greatest ones will be at the resurrection when he says, come into this kingdom. Thou good and faithful servant. So for believers, we serve a king of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no president that can 
outrank God. There is no world leader. There is no spiritual power. There is no planet. There is no technology. There is not one thing in this world that can outrank God nor His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So as a child of God, you and I have times of happiness and joy. And believe it or not, it's not a sin to be happy. <laughs> you can be happy and it's okay to be happy. We find happiness. How do we find happiness? Well, the Bible says in Psalm 119.35, he says, the psalmist says, Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Folks, if you want happiness, you will find it by living according to what is in this book. If you want drama, live by these two words. If you want drama in your life, live by these two words. I feel. I feel that this is right. I feel like I should do that. Folks, you can feel all you want. But the problem is we have so many people in this world living by their feelings that no one is living by the facts. And they are enchained by... I, I remember this... You remember the Far Side comer, uh, cartoonist? That Gary Lawson, he had some weird stuff. But I remember this, this one cartoon that had this man that was in a room and he had like hundreds of phones. And he was holding all of these phone receivers in his hand to his ear and on every phone was the label, they. So I don't know if you get that, but you know, everybody says, they say. That's what it was. He was, this, this cartoon was listening to what everybody says. And folks, I'm telling you what, as long as you've got the internet, as long as you've got Facebook, as long as you've got television, there's going to be somebody that does not mind sharing their opinion with you. And they're going to act like it is the truth. But my friend, the only true truth is found in God's Word. And that's where we find true happiness. And so our first response to suffering should be turning to God. Let me read verse 13 of chapter 5 again. It says, Are many of you suffering hardships? What does it say? You should pray. You should pray. Now, when we're suffering, the first thing that we like to do is make somebody else suffer with us. We like to tell everybody how we've been done wrong. We like to tell everybody what a bum deal we've got. Sometimes, you know, like that pity party. We like to... To make a big deal about things. But God is saying, no, look, you can go talk to your preacher. You can go talk to your best friend. You can go post it online. You can do whatever you can do. But if you want to do what I have designed you to do, when you are suffering, the first not um, the first one-stop place that you should go to is not Walmart. Yes, I know Walmart has everything. You can't get out of a Walmart for under $35. Even if you go in there just to pick up a soda. But the one-stop shop is not Walmart or Target or all these, all these other superstores. The one-stop shop is God Himself. And we access Him through prayer. If we pray when we are suffering and we praise when we are happy, it will do one of two things. Number one, if we pray when we're suffering, it may remove you from the hardships you are suffering. If you truly pray about a situation you are in, God might show you that the best thing for you to do is exit that situation. Or if you're praying to God, 
The second thing it will do is if it's not to get you to exit from that situation, he will give you the grace, the mercy, and the strength to stand up under it. Look, I'm telling you what, I heard a preacher preach the other day, and he said, you know what? As he looked back on his life, his greatest battles were not with the devil, but with God. Because God was wrestling with him and trying to change his character and make him a better person. So here's the thing. When we are suffering, how can we find purpose in that? Let's take a moment and look in our Bibles for just a minute to to 2 Corinthians. A few books over to the left. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. Okay. He says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, this is Paul talking, so to keep me from becoming proud... <laughs> To, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. For three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace, many of your translations say is sufficient. This translation says my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. My power works best in weakness. So now that I am to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What Paul is reminding us is that if we were not in moments of weakness, we would never see the need for God and we would be tempted to take the credit for our life and our success by our own merits. But I'll tell you what, it's ironic that when I feel my weakest by depending on God and praying to Him, that is when I am strongest. Because here's the thing, when you are weak, and you pray to God, whatever is coming against you is not coming against you. He's coming against the God whom you serve, who has got your back. There is no other place I would rather be. Folks, let me just be blunt. Stop blaming God for all your suffering and just run to Him. Stop blaming all of your suffering on God and just run to Him. Wrong responses to suffering, according to James, would be complaining and criticizing other believers or blaming God for your hardships. Look, if you've ever blamed God for a situation that you're in, you're not in, in, uh, you're not in unfamiliar territory. Job did that. Many Bible heroes did that. At some point in their journey, in their healing, they blamed God for it. God's big enough for that. Because God basically says, okay, are you done? 
Now are you ready for the truth? And when you're ready, he lets you see whatever that truth is. Let me ask you this. He says in this passage that his grace is sufficient or that it's all that you need in difficult times and in your best of times. How has God used hardships and happiness in your life to remind you of your need for him? I think I might have a slide for that, Katie. How has God used hardships and happiness in your life to remind you of your need for Him. This is very important for you to be honest with yourselves and answer this question because, I don't know, some of you in here spend a lot of time traveling. I know a few of you spend a lot of time traveling to Charleston. Uh, I, tra- I traveled to Charleston when I was going to school there, so I pretty much had Spartanburg to, um, to the exit 205 memorized. I could do it with my eyes closed. And sometimes I did. Thank you, God. But I could tell you how long it would take to get from one place to the other, and I knew all the benchmarks along the way. When we answer this question honestly, and we think about the hardships and the times of happiness in our lives, and how they reminded us of our need for Him, they become benchmarks. They become mile markers in your life that you go back to. And they become altars where you can remember where God was faithful in your life. So that now when you are struggling, you can remember those moments of faith and return to Him and worship Him. And that same strength that you found in that situation is now with you to carry you through this situation. That's the way it works. Prayer connects God with your hardship and with your happiness. To not pray and praise will leave you feeling disconnected. And that is exactly how Satan wants you to feel. Is disconnected. That God is distant. That God doesn't care. That God has got it out for you. That God's character is mean. And that he's some type of tyrant. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Like my friend said, not today, Satan. You're not going to get that in my head today. God is good. And that in your weakness, He will make you strong. And then we see that in James chapter 5 verses 14 to the first half of verse 16. That's why I have the A there. The A just kind of for me designates the first half of it. James 5, 14 through 16a says, Are any of you sick? Some of y'all would say, Amen, preacher. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with the oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer is offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. So confess your sins to each other. Whoa, 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 what? That's what it says there. I'm sorry. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Some of you wouldn't know what to do if you didn't have your bitterness and your difference with somebody that you've been holding on to for years. You've learned to live with it. It's become some type of pet, some type of emotional teddy bear to where if you were to ever give away that, that bitterness and that hatred, you wouldn't know how to act. 
I don't know that you would know how to act, but I know what, you'd be free. Because he says here, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be blessed. What we see in verse 14 is that sickness is everywhere. Now I'll go ahead and tell you, you know it in this church and every other church when we have prayer times, 99.9% of the request is going to be for God to heal somebody physically. And I think that's important. I mean, he is the ultimate physician and it is in him that we trust for physical healing. And the church here that James was addressing was doing the same thing. But also, it, while physical sickness is the most recognized among Christians, the most prominent sickness is the sickness of sin. That is everywhere. In this room today, we have some people that are sick. We have people that can't be here today because they are sick and not able to be here. But we do have some people in here that that are feeling okay today. And praise the Lord for that. But every one of us in here suffers from the sickness of sin. We've just found the remedy. And there is a world full of people out there that have not. It talks about anointing the oil in the name of the Lord. Where the elders would, the elders would come do that. Back in those days, olive oil was kind of seen like WD-40. <laughs> it was like the cure-all of everything. Or like when you were, when you were younger, if you put Vicks Vapor Rub on it, it's gonna fix it, whatever it is. So this, so this was, another way of saying this was, go ahead and get the medicine of the world. Get, get the things that you need to treat you, but also more important, let's pray over one another. Let's pray for people that are sick. Then he talks about the prayer offered in faith. Some translations say, A prayer of faith. I want you to understand something. That prayer of faith is not dependent upon the person that you're praying for. Whether their faith is strong enough or not. The prayer of faith is dependent on the person praying. It's dependent on the person praying. So you and I, when someone asks us to pray for them, we need to be positioned in such a way to where it is our faith that is making their request known. I think of the four friends that lowered their friend down to Jesus on the mat. What did Jesus say to them? Seeing their faith, the four men who clawed through the roof and lowered their friend, seeing their faith healed the man that was paralyzed. Your faith, the reason you need to be in God's gym and you need to be right with God is so that your faith can help others to see the truth. Well, we also see that prayer and praise lead to confession and repentance. Prayer and praise lead to confession and repentance. Verse 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Folks, I'm just going to tell you again, I'm just going to be blunt. You will never, never, you can take this to the bank, you can you can quote it. You can write it down or you can forget it. I don't care, but it's the truth. You will never be right with God until you are right with people. Sorry. Sorry. I say that to myself too. We will never be right with God until we are right with people. Confess to one another, really? Don't hold it in. It'll only take you down. If you don't believe me, look at the life of David. 
he held in his sin. He tried to keep it secret. It turned him into an adulterer and a murderer. And he saw all types of sin occur within his own family because of his poor actions. Don't tell others to build your case. That's only more gossip. And (laughs) that type of sin affects the entire church body or the entire family. And then, here's the big one. Don't post about it. Don't put it on Facebook or Twitter or or the bulletin board or wherever, your knitting circles or whatever you got. And Oh, I tell you what, I'm not going to say their names so nobody will know. They know! Don't do that. Don't build your case. You can have everybody on your side and you will still be wrong. You have just sucked a bunch of other people into the same thing. If we're going to be right with God, we're going to be right with people. Healing occurs only when our sin is dealt with, physically and spiritually. 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins. Now I know 99.9% of you in here have prayed the prayer, walked the aisle, been dunked in the tank, and you, you are good. You've got all of that taken care of. But folks, this is not a one-time thing he's talking about. This is a daily thing he's talking about. You cannot walk a minute in this world without having problems with people if you are a Christian. Because it is those problems that God wants to use to make His glory known to those people you have a problem with. I'm sorry. Think of that person that just is sandpaper in your life. I hope it's not me, Lord. But think about those people, those situations that are just the the spiritual sandpaper in your life that, that, oh Lord, you must send that person into my life because they are testing me today. Not today, Satan. But look at it this way. Nothing. No circumstance or no person enters our life without it passing through the very fingers of God. So if that person is in your life, maybe it's to change you. Or maybe it's for you to change them. But it is no accident. Finally, prayer brings powerful results. In 16b through 18, it says, The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. And it produces wonderful results. I've heard this verse a lot. Other translations say, Ah, the fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Boy, we like to say that. So if we get the preacher to pray for us, it must happen. If we could get Deacon Do-Right to do it, we'll be good. If we could get that, that person that everybody talks to, that every, they pray for everybody, boy, we will be good. Or, you know what, if we pray for it, it'll work out the way we want it. That's not what this is saying. But it says the earnest prayers of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then he gives us an example. Elijah was human as we are. And yet we had prayed, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years, 
Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down the rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Boy, I'll tell you what, that is a fantastic Bible story to read. It reads like a movie in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And I encourage you to go back and look at Elijah's story in that. Because here he is counted as an earnest... He says, uh, the prayers of an earnest man availeth much. And he lists Elijah. So that means, boy, he must be some kind of guy. But listen, don't put Elijah on a pedestal. Because that same Elijah that prayed fire from heaven down is the same Elijah that when his life was threatened was ended up hiding in a cave. And the prayers of an earnest person does not say the prayers of a perfect person. But folks, I truly believe, I truly believe that when we are not perfect, God knows our heart and He knows our intent. Even a good coach of a football team knows when the athlete is trying. And when they're not. God knows when we are trying and when we are not. So, our prayers are powerful. And then finally, well, let me just say this before, before I jump to the last point. Speaking of Elijah, did you know that, uh, they needed rain and Elijah prayed for rain? And he sent messengers back seven times to verify that it had rained. Let me ask you this. What if he had only given it six times and then given up his prayers? He would have been one prayer away from realizing what God was going to do in that situation. Look. My heart breaks for those mamas and those daddies and those grandparents and those great-grandparents and those brothers and those sisters that have that family member that you have been praying for for years. Don't stop. You may be only one day away from seeing God do something in that. I want you to understand, if you have a prayer that you've been carrying... God has heard every word. Don't stop. Last but not least, prayer and praise prepares you to rescue wayward believers. In verses 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure... That whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. It's amazing how James in his letter, the first half of his letter in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he is hammering Christians. And he is trying to get all of that junk chiseled out of their lives. Until finally at the end we see why. The reason he was correcting the church is so they could be the church. If you are going through some type of refining process, it's because God has a plan for you. So the power of prayers and praises 
has the power to move people from the gates of hell to the gates of heaven. Not you personally, but your prayers accesses that inexhaustible power that does it. You and I are not God. We need to remember that. But yet we have access to that power. So don't make your prayer life only about you. Don't make it your, your grocery checklist. Oh God, I need this and I need that and I need this other thing and I want to pray for this person because they're my friend and I want that to happen and I want that to happen. So now let's pray. Amen. And if that's all your prayer life consists of, you have just given him your prayer laundry list. And that ain't prayer. That's, hey God, this is what I want. Some of the best prayers to be us just sitting and being still and having God talk to us. Don't make your prayer life only about you. Pray for God to give you a heart to be right with Him and others. Keep praying. Keep praising. Keep yourself right with God and others. Then you will experience the power of prayer and praise. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the life of James and the truths that he has given us that are timeless, Lord, in your scriptures. And Lord, I know that there are a lot of themes that have been touched on today about forgiveness and about power and about prayer and about feelings and security. And Lord, I know that, Lord, your word has been brought out and I know it will not return null or void. So my invitation today, Lord, is, is your invitation, Lord, that you move in hearts, Lord. If there is someone here today that, that wants to come to the altar and pray or pray with me or, or make a decision to, to accept you as their Savior, Lord, or they have, they just want to give something to you right where they are today, Lord, let that be today. That burden that they carried in here, let they, let them leave it here today at your altar. And Lord, may our prayer lives and our praise lives always call down your power. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for not giving up on us. And thank you for correcting us, Lord, when we need it. You have got great plans for us as individuals and great plans for this church. If you have a need, a prayer need, or you want to... Make Jesus the Lord of your life today. Would you please answer the call in this invitation and come forward? Would you please stand?